your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined as always by Ryan following Everton's 1-0 defeat to Sheffield United at home at Goodison Park. It is Sheffield United Sheffield United's second away win of the season of their last 24 away league outings and ended a run for them of seven straight Premier League defeats on the road since last beating United 2-1 in January. Only Fulham have earned fewer home points this Premier League season mm. than Everton. They've earned four. Everton have earned six. So pretty bleak picture. And of course, as we've all seen on Twitter, Everton have lost nine Premier League matches at Goodison Park this season. Nine. Joint most, joint most in our history, Ryan. Since nine. Most recently, 93-94, that infamous Mike Walker side. That nearly went down. Uh, and this came from... Uh, last but not least, before we get to instant match reactions, we had this from uh, Michael at Greenall EFC. Three goals at home uh, cumulatively against Leeds, West Ham, <laughs> Newcastle, Fulham, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, and Sheffield United. Puts Everton at eighth in the table. Basically all hope of a European finish. And European Europa League next season has evaporated. Ryan, uh, pretty bleak to open the show. Instant match reaction. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, it's just completely, um, it was almost a pointless match just to watch what we did. Um, watch that terrible goal, concede that, concede a couple other chances. I mean, we'll get into the summary and the statistical differences, but um, we looked hapless. I mean, most of it was tactical. I don't think it was necessarily the players not working hard enough or some sort of silliness like that. Uh, we were set up poorly. We executed poorly. We didn't adjust well at all. Uh, basically, all the way around, it was just deplorable, pathetic. There aren't enough bad words for it, and it's frustrating. Um, I, I, I'm, there's, I mean, there's no reason to belabor the point for me to say it was terrible. It's the worst performance of the year and the most disappointing performance whew, in a long time. Yeah, long last, Everton, you know, find, had a chance. You know, European windows been closing Millimeter by millimeter for some time now. This was kind of the last stand against a side that's already been relegated. Nothing to play for, therefore no pressure. But Everton came out like there was like there was absolutely nothing for them to play for. Sheffield looked somewhat invigorated and frankly made us uh, played us off the park for large stretches of the match. And it, it really makes no sense when you look at their lineup. Look, this and further for Everton's lineup, you had one change from last match. You had Hamas returning for Gilfie, which at the time, I was like, okay, this is probably the strongest lineup we fielded in several weeks, if not months, on paper. Just didn't work out that way. The execution was diabolically bad. The tactics really made no sense. And when you concede in the first 10 minutes against the side that wants to sit back as much as Sheffield United do, it doesn't bode well for the remainder of the match, and it certainly didn't today. Saw the lineup and you thought immediately, geez, how are we going to set up? I, I didn't think for a chance. I didn't think we were going to play five defenders. Were we Were we really going to play three in the back against Sheffield United? Are we that concerned about outnumbering their two center forwards? Uh, I, 
I don't know what your thoughts were at the initial lineup. I mean, I was thrilled that Sigurdsson at least had been dropped to the bench, but I just sat there and I thought about it. I'm like, why would you play this way against these guys? I, I, I just thought it was completely fascinating. And Mason Holgate, again, gets back yeah. into the lineup. He, I mean, he has been a travesty. He's been our worst player. We bag on Gilfie, but at least there's some level of expectations there. Mason Holgate's been debatably our worst player for... I mean, the second half of the season by a mile, yet yeah. somehow he gets called in again. I mean, I just I didn't see anything tactically that would have made me think that playing three in the back and pushing those guys up at wing backs and leaving just two central midfielders with Thomas roaming around would be a smart thing to do in terms of trying to break down how I knew they'd set up. What are your thoughts on that initial lineup when you saw it? Yeah, look, I was really happy to see Sigurdsson dropped, honestly, given the the. Uh, the piling on we did or have done on him the last several matches, but yep. you're right. When you abandon kind of the central midfield and leave thin numbers in there against a side that are perfectly content to sit back and let us attack them and concede possession for the entire match. You, you really wonder why the three center backs are necessary at all, much less Mason Holgate. Um, obviously Jeremy is still out injured, but you would expect to show a little bit more offensively. And I know Carlo probably doesn't have the amount of trust in these guys to, play any sort of expansive style and, and, you know, the foundation defensive foundation, we've kept several clean sheets in a row. So I guess I can see that rationale somewhat, but for this team against a side that's been relegated that have right. been horrific all season, you don't want to at least like put some guys out there. And it's not like it was a total lack of options on the bench. Yeah. You can debate the overall quality of Everton's personnel, but in terms of availability, it's just Josh King who misses out with a knock. You could put a Wobie in, you could put God, that's bleak. Uh, you put Bernard in, right? Even Tom Davies, who has just mysteriously vanished to the bench to put, put him in midfield, drop Mason Holgate, put some more bodies in there and maybe control the ball a little bit better in the middle of the park, which we struggled massively to do all match. Yeah, I, I don't get it at all. So um, let's look at Sheffield starting 11. And this is what makes me even more ticked off. I mean, Brewster makes way for Jebson, 17-year-old. Sander Burge is out. Burke is out too. Um, you know, Brian was relegated to the bench. I think he maybe had a knock or I don't know what the deal was there, but I mean, <laughs> they were missing their guys too. And we've lucked out on missing some players here or there. And I think the reality is our form has been absolutely terrible. I think we're just getting fairly lucky. Um, but I, I just, I'm looking at that lineup and I'm thinking you needed three center halves to protect yourself from this. From it shows you how, and David McGoldrick. It shows you how much, I mean, McGoldrick totally bossed us the whole entire time. Um, but part of it was shape and tactics. And I don't know. Uh, so we look at the tactical setup and, you know, for them, they did exactly what we thought they would do. You know, they are who they thought we were. Um, they defended in the back five, you know, Norwood dropped deep to pick balls off. Yep. Saw that. Stevens out at left back on Coleman, Baldick out at right. Uh, they played pretty narrow at times. You know, when we got the ball inside the final third, I mean, they had five across the back line, almost barely outside the width of the 18. You know, I mean, Dean, they would go out and try and close him down a little bit. But I mean, it was just absolute comedy because there were times it was almost a 5-5-0. And the yeah. second Everton turn back or pass back to the center backs, boom, the back line started to move up. And we did it. 
constantly, constantly. We were so slow. Even when we won the ball back once or twice, we had an opportunity and we just did not attack very quickly. Why we didn't pressure them more. I don't know. We had three center halves. Why would you not pressure them and have them hoof it out the whole game? You have three center halves. Don't you have the matchup in wide spots? If they hoof it out, bang, win the header aerial bang right down to lawn and to and move it up. Uh, didn't happen at all. Uh, it just, and the thing is like when they get set up, they throw a ton of people in the box sitting there. They're not going to be easy to break down. So why did we continue to play the way we did? Um, you know, before we get into the attacking shape and some of the weaknesses, again, you saw how they played. We've seen how they played in the past. We haven't attacked them in this way in the past. So what, what may, I just, what do you think was going through Carlos' mind if he thought that this was the right way to play in the right setup? I really have a hard time understanding the decisions. And look, we've given Carlo a, a tremendous amount of uh, leeway. Obviously, the credibility, the what he's done in the game cannot be questioned one bit. But nope. what he's done with this Everton team in the second half of the season makes you ask a lot of questions. Um, and I understand, look, you start with a strong defensive foundation in theory and you build on that. But this side was not really capable with those guys at the back of, of creating any mismatches of taking people on. We, we weren't that athletic, unfortunately, and we made True. ourselves less, less athletic as we made substitutions, as you oh. pointed out off air, which is extremely frustrating, but it, 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 it more so than the positioning of players or the setup. It was just, we didn't want to take the game to Sheffield United one bit. So if we won the ball high up the pitch or midfield or wherever, we're perfectly content to play it back, play it around our center halves, reset, let them set up defensively and try for some reason to break down that solid defensive shape rather than try to catch them out out of position and, and do something in that regard. And I can understand, is that what Carlo wants? Does he want us to kind of reset, recalibrate and, and go at them? To me, you want to be playing with rhythm. You intercept the ball, you go right at their throats. And we didn't do that. It's terrifying to be perfectly honest. I mean, what would have happened if they didn't score? Would we have just sat back and passed the ball around the whole time? I mean, we showed very little urgency. So here's the other thing I want to say is a lot of people said, well, we had no urgency. We didn't play fast. Well, let me tell you a couple different things, man. Teams play fast often because they know how to play fast. They have designed passing sequences. They have a pointed aspect of how to attack. I saw none of that today. Now, Carlo has admitted that he likes having a lot, having his players have a lot of freedom to attack and do things. And, and I get that. No design passing sequences today. No question about it. And this is a unique setup that they were defending in and a tough team that if they're sitting back to break down just out of numbers. But I didn't, I mean, were we attacking wide and then throwing people in the box? Were we attacking down the middle? Were we narrow? Would we, I, I, there was no logic whatsoever. And so I, I put a couple still shots up here in our notes just to discuss but what i saw us doing is we we attacked kind of in a three four one two you had dean pushed up you had coleman pushed up at times the problem with that is you had alon and decory getting the ball james drifting back to help them because for some freaking reason like we we struggled with their pressure now granted they didn't pressure our center halves at all until we got up to a certain point. And if we turned backwards, yeah, then they'd go after him. We could not pass it through those guys. So even when we did, Hamas had to drop back to help with that. So the second we got the ball, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison are like 30 yards ahead of everyone with five guys around them, sometimes seven. 
So if the center halves are completely pointless, they're not part of the attack. They're not throwing numbers forward. They're behind the ball. Well, let's just do the math. You're basically attacking seven on 10 and you're not really attacking seven on 10 because they don't really necessarily care what you're doing on the wide spots or you've got Alana Decoy so far from the goal. They're not really dangerous. They've got the ball. So they're scanning in front of them with time and space 40 yards out and looking at a bunch of guys. They're looking at basically two center forwards. Hamez running around. They could spray it wide, but there's still numbers in the box anyway. And it's not like Coleman's a great crosser the ball. So basically, and this is what happens when teams pack it into us. It's over to Dean hoof the thing. in. And look, there are a couple decent crosses today. I mean, we're fairly unfortunate to score on one of them, but that's not a way to break these teams down. And there's a lot of tactical setups we could have done. There are a lot of personnel differences. Like, fine, if you're going to give people collective freedom to attack, you should pick some people that can attack. I mean, how many people do we have? I mean, you look at the numbers at the end of this. I mean, ours were completely dominant if you didn't know any better. But we were tied in dribbles again. Who do we have? If Richarlison's going to play behind someone the whole time, who do we have to beat someone off a dribble? Hamez, really. And, and it's Hamez making a dribble to free up a, you know, a cross or something. But, I mean, who do we have that's going to go by someone? Alon, I guess, but he can't do it because he's back there trying to help the center halves because we got three of them, none of which feel comfortable passing. Right, so he has to drop really deep, takes him completely out of any meaningful uh, contributions to the attack. I mean, you could say DeCore might go by someone every now and then, but certainly Calvert-Lewin might do it occasionally on his day. But I think when we come to our uh, squad evaluation at the end of the season, that's going to be another area where we're severely, severely lacking is just guys who can beat someone one-on-one with the ball at their feet and like if you can't do that you're kind of sol yeah i think and also look we're defending again in 442 and that, that's fine and all like there's nothing problematic about that but is that real i mean are you ever pressuring in the 442 and that was part of the problem like the setup we have maybe we just didn't expect to get down in the seventh minute or whatever or whatever it was but our pressure was terrible it was completely uncoordinated. And even when it was successful, we didn't know how to attack after that. Like we didn't have the runs down. We didn't know, like if you see a Red Bull team play, and again, I'm not advocating purely a system type attack. You know, I think we can be variable and stuff. And maybe there's not enough time between games to really train these types of attacks and design passing sequences. But you should have at least a basic sequence of attack. And uh, it, it just it just went, went out the window. Um, Anyway, let's take a step back here and look at and kind of looked at where we attacked, if anything. Um, no surprises as usual, right? We attacked 40% down the left, uh, not much down the right. I mean, Coleman barely touched the ball. And sure enough, Sheffield, like every other team that's played us, how did they attack us in the wide spaces with particular emphasis on the left, right? And yeah, I mean, no surprise there, right? No, I mean, it's been a constant weak point, right? Teams going down their left, our right, has been the kind of bread and butter recipe to beat Everton all season. And they did have some balance. I mean, 36% down the right, 40% down the left, their left. So they had the balance there, but we dominated possession for the most part, and they were just very comfortable in picking us apart. And look, they didn't create a ton of chances, but I still felt even after they scored the first that the second was always kind of right around the corner because yeah. even though we played the five defenders, we still looked incredibly, incredibly fragile and unable to really put Sheffield United off their game. Look, McGoldrick dominated us. He was dribbling by people like, yep. No tomorrow. And you've got Jebison who scores really early on in his Premier league debut. Like you just can't give 
things away that easily. And it, and it didn't even really seem to elicit any kind of response. Well, let's talk about kind of how the sequence of the game played out. I mean, we, you know, the first five minutes or so, I mean, we were at least somewhat aggressive. Uh, yeah. Nothing massive came out of it, but I thought it wasn't the worst beginning we've ever had. I mean, at least we seemed like we were pressing the play. Uh, we were finding each other a little bit. Uh, people seemed like they knew where they wanted to be. And then came the goal. And I, I don't really know how to describe the goal in full, um, but it was just a comedy of errors. And yeah. I, I don't I mean, I, I guess my biggest problem is you're going to defend in that 4-4-2 against this team. How can you have a center half playing right back, not closing down on players out there? I felt like they got crosses into the box against us a couple of times, too. And this, to me, was a scenario where, and maybe it's because Seamus isn't used to playing on that side either. But I mean, they broke through those two guys. And then, I mean, Alon didn't want to foul him cutting through the middle on him. Somehow he split him into Corre. And then Keen comes out late, which how are you late coming out if you're in a back three? And the saddest part is if he passed it earlier, I think he had McGoldrick wide open at like the 12. Right. So, I mean, Godfrey jumps forward in anticipation because he's kind of hosed. Now, was that a mistake, too? Yeah, that was a mistake. I mean, it was a comedy of errors. Was he hard done on that? Yeah, he's kind of in trouble there. But I mean, I don't know if he jumped forward to try and get the offsides or what he did. But I mean, the timing was off and it looked it was horrible. Just, it looked horrible. It was just a layup. I mean, how else do you just comedy of errors? Right. I mean, I I, I don't see yeah. any other way to look at it. Yeah, it was it was. I mean, it's a classic Everton move, right? To, to concede a, a goal to the kid on his debut to a already relegated side. Like it's just quintessential the Everton that we've known for so long, unfortunately. And it was just I mean, it should have made the initial tackle prior to the pass. And then Godfrey, I think doesn't see Jebison behind him. And so you're right. I think he does try to jump and maybe he's playing the offside. Maybe he's trying to anticipate that pass, that, that cutback pass. Yeah. Either way, one nil scoreline within 10 minutes. And at that point, you know, it's going to be a really, really difficult uh, fight back against, because again, like, like we talked about, you know, you don't really, ha- you're not feel pressured to possess. You feel very comfortable just sitting back and yep fending off any potential attacks that come your way. That said, we did have a couple decent chances to equalize before halftime. We did. Uh, I mean, James is kind of dancing move to the left side. Uh, I, I kept saying like, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, pass it. Yeah. Shoot it. Um, he just didn't quite hit it all that well, but at least it was dangerous. But look, let's face it. I mean, you know, the biggest chance of the match came in the 40th minute. Yeah, it was uh, a keen long ball, I believe, to to James, who puts in an incredible cross to Richarlison. Incredible cross. I mean, it was un- the timing, and Richie's run was perfect, too. It, and there were some moments on the day where James did have some nice vision, as he always does, moments of quality. But this was probably the, the best of them all. Amazing cross to Richarlison. Ramsdale makes a really good save. Dom does a good job being in the right spot to follow the shot up, but... Hits it kind of back right at Ramsdale. I think it hits off like his neck shoulder area up and over the bar. And both strikers left uh, holding their heads in their hands with an immense amount of frustration because, and I had a sinking feeling in my stomach. Like if we're not going to score those. Yeah, it's not getting any better Right, exactly. So, uh, and that was more or less it. We didn't create a great deal in the second half. Yeah, Alon had a decent chance, I guess, in the 11th. I almost forgot about that one. The outside of the foot shot, that was just a sensational shot. Yeah. And what a save. I mean, that's the thing, man. Ramsdale played pretty well. I mean, look, Dom blew the second shot. I thought Richarlison's header was pretty darn good. You know what I mean? Ramsdale did a really nice job of saving it. But ultimately, um, 
the second chance that Dom should have put away, which he definitely should have put away, uh, you know, a little bit of credit to Aaron Ramsdale, that fact that he bounced up that quickly, yeah. but Dom yeah. still has to put that away. I mean, there's no question around it. It was almost so easy that, you know, you felt like you just kind of had to hit it. But I mean, once that didn't go, <laughs> you're just sitting there thinking, oh my God. But, but to be perfectly honest, I mean, we really didn't create that much. I mean, that was a massive chance, but it wasn't, any sequence of play that was looking stellar. It wasn't anything. It was like a moment of brilliance from quality. Um, but to that point, Ryan, just really quick, like we've skated yeah. by on executing on those moments for far right. too long this season. And look, it comes down to a little bit of luck here and there. And like, we, we've, we kind of foreshadowed this, unfortunately, uh, in the last couple of months where we said, look, th there's no way that we can continue getting by on these thin margins. And, and that type of play is exactly the type of thing that was going right for us early on and just hasn't come off the, in, in recent weeks. That's a good point. People forget how well we finished. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was in fuego at the beginning of the year and everyone likes to slight him about his finishing now, which is unfair. And that's on the same token, you have to give him credit for, you know, doing what he did prior to that. Um, you know, the saddest part is we go into halftime and I mean, you, you had to think, okay, this, this terrible setup, you know, here's our opportunity to write the ship. And so I'm thinking, geez, I wonder what we're going to dial up. Okay. We knew for sure. I mean, Holgate's got to come off. I mean, he was absolutely terrible. We didn't even talk about his back pass. I mean, do you want to talk about that one? Let's not and say we did, but it was so, horrible. It, it was a disaster. The whole game uh, It was nothing impressive. I mean, he hoofed the ball away again, uh, again. That's like his favorite thing to do now. Um, it's so helpful, really. Three of six and long balls. I don't remember the three. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the, it didn't create anything, of course, through any of those, because there was so much space between the forwards and the midfield. It's not like anyone was going to win a second ball. Um, uh, but again, that's tactical, you know, you set up that way. So I'm thinking halftime, you know, I was thinking like American football style halftime adjustments, you know, you go into the locker room, rah, rah, come out with something different. And so what was Carlo Ancelotti's response? We were playing slow. We we're having trouble breaking them down. I figured he would infuse some some pace, some some ingenuity, someone to run with the ball, someone to attack directly, to go after someone. And wrong, Ryan. You got Gilfie Sigurdsson coming in for Mason Holgate, which, you know, look, at least it's not like a totally defensive substitution, but Gilfie kills us. He absolutely kills us, and he offered literally nothing in the second half today. I mean, I'll give him credit for a couple through balls, but but let's just put things in perspective. So the last two matches, we have been horrible coming out of halftime from like the 45th minute to, I think the 75th was last, last match yeah. where we still were outshot, still out possessed. And then at the very end, we scrambled together and outshot them like eight or nine to one, right. And like the last 15, right. Right. And no, that's not because of Wobie came on. I just happened to, it, it was a cool, it was a change in tactics and some other things. Or was it? No. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, so so what happened today? Same thing. We come out totally different approach. How many shots did we have from the 45th minute to the 70th? One shot, Ryan. One shot. One shot. We had seven again from the 71st to the 90th. How, how can that be acceptable? That's three matches in a row where we came out of halftime and played much worse. And that's the thing. I mean, you might as well have been... I, we had zero chance of scoring in the second half. I mean, absolutely zero, nothing, nada. And I, I just, I don't understand it. it. It's, that's not the type of response you're looking for. It's not the right tactical decision. So I look fine. You bring Gilfie on, which gets us even slower. 
and less capable of attacking and putting pressure on the team, which makes no sense. But we started pressing up higher. It looked like we were still in a 4-4-2. So why on God's green earth would anyone think that switching Gilfie Sigurdsson out, putting him at left mid, taking Holgate out, putting Sheamus at right back, and then moving James at right mid, as opposed to keeping him up top, is the way that we're going to generate some pressure on another team. And they did concede possession to us the whole time. You know, it was like 66% or something. But but why would we think that's like our quick strike, pressure-filled defense? It makes absolutely no sense. And, and, and to put James out wide, you want to... <laughs> we, don't, we haven't learned. Look, you're playing two guys who are slow as molasses on either wing. What sense does that make? James was... You got to give him the freedom to get involved. And if, if you want to create more, you should be looking to have Gilfie maybe play a little bit deeper, get James at least a little further up. So he doesn't have to drop quite as deep. Yeah. He can actually create in the final third. Didn't do that. And uh, yeah, Gilfie ended up the highest of the midfielders, which uh, Carlo, I don't know what he sees in him at this point. It's, It's just baffling. They got it wrong. I mean, it's no joke about that. I mean, look, fine. Bring Tom Davies in if you really don't want to bring an attacking player and push Alon and Decore up. At least they can pressure. Hamas can still roam around a little bit or put him on one side. At least you've got someone to flank him and support him and move the back line up for heaven's sakes. You know, why buy someone like Ben Godfrey who can run? I understand Michael Keane's scared to do it. Maybe that's really the fundamental issue. You know what I mean? That could be probably the biggest issue. But the worst part about it to me is the way we attacked. I mean, it was even hard to tell exactly how we attacked. Now, it looked like a 4-3-3 to me with Hamas right again, tucking inside, like we started out the season pretty much. But Richarlison was way too high on the left side. Dean was pushed up. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Leon was far. And Gilfie was kind of the highest of those three in the midfield, tucking in the left half space. We've already seen him in the left half space the last two matches. Trash. He doesn't, right, he generates nothing from over there. Everything was slow, but again, that's not the players. Like you have no attacking design. There's no passing sequence. The center halves don't immediately know how to go and where to go with the ball. Uh, There's no X's and O's on that one. There's no way he came out, got on the old whiteboard, the chalkboard, and got out there and designed some stuff. So look, there were a couple semi-half chances in the second half. And and I remember at one point I tweeted, Gilfie actually found space in between the lines and tried to play Dominic through. It was a little bit wide, but it actually happened. Like I I hadn't seen it in a long time, but it actually happened. And I thought more of that. And he kind of did something in the 55th where he received it in that position, but then just kind of chucked it out wide, right? And he did kind of the same thing in the 70th where he played Richie through, but these are all kind of half chances. Yeah. And the the Richarlison one, especially like he ends up forcing Ramsdale into a okay save, but the angle yeah. makes no sense. It's like, yep. it's not really a good upper. You hope for maybe a deflection back into play or something like that, but no chance he's going to score there. And so, as you said, no meaningful opportunities to score in, in Sheffield United looked very comfortable. And it doesn't solve the problem. Like he's still playing those balls from too deep. And the second yeah. they go through, there's no one coming in there at the top of the 18 to help. There's no cross back. There's too much space. They're not supported. Or Charleston's not next to Dom or something. I mean, I just pick a plan of attack and go with it. If you want to kick it out wide and just fire across in the middle, fine. Fine. But make sure everyone knows that and just do it and commit people up top with it. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. So anyway, they had a great chance in 76 with McGoldrick. They had a free header basically in the 77th. I don't know what Ben was doing just staring at him. But what I found even more fascinating 
So fine. Okay. A couple of yellow cards. Gilfie came on at half. We did nothing. In the 78th minute, Carlos grand design to try and get us back into the match. In the 78th minute, too, at this point. Like, have you not been watching? We were doing absolutely nada. Like, you can't make a change before that. Are you freaking kidding me? I guess maybe he was just hoping James would generate some magic. But you yank the one guy off who can create, and you bring in Bernard, who, uh, who is actually, people don't realize this, but if you look at like things like shot-created action, he's been about our most creative guy from open play the last three years. But he won't play, whatever. And he, you know, he's quick. Again, that's the other one. Oh, he's not very fast. He literally was clocked at almost 34 kilometers per hour his first year with us. That is objectively smoking fast. I'm sorry. When he was 21, I played in the Brazilian national team. This is not a slow player. So we can cut that garbage out. And Oh, he gets pushed off the ball, blah, 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 blah. Fine. At least he can create something, though. You know what I mean? I don't care if he loses the ball a couple times if he creates something. At this point, we need a goal. And then he subs out. This is the one I just don't understand. He pulls out to Corey for Andre. So, Hamas, since you asked me the same question the other day on the pod. Is Andre Gomes a good player in the final third? Is he a creative player? He's quite terrible. And the fact that Carlo seemingly doesn't realize that and is bringing him on and what was basically the end of our season, must-win match to create something in desperate times, shows that I I just don't know if he understands the players he has at his disposal because there's a few other guys that he had the opportunity to bring on. I don't understand. Like I could see bringing Bernard on in addition to having someone like Hamas, someone that they can maybe play together and create together, but you yank off most of your creative, creative acumen and bring on some guy who's not as good, but still creative and your net creativeness goes down. So it, it, and you bring on Andre who's useless in the final third and although ended up playing pretty deep anyway, Andre's open play creation numbers are actually slightly better than Sigerson's this year. How sad is that? That, but you blew it. I mean, you already blew you it by making cry. that halftime sub. Uh, right. I mean, yes, I want to cry too. You blew it by doing that. I mean, Gilfie was not the right sub. He's not been the right player for a long time. And I swear to heaven's sake, Carlo's going to extend this guy or push the brands to do it. So hopefully Marcel wise up and not do it. Anyway, we have a couple comments in here too, but I, I just could not believe how pathetic we looked in terms of chance creation in, in that, in that run. I mean, you really come out of halftime and people are going to say, oh, they need to fight harder for the show. It's not that you're playing against a wall the whole time. The individuals you have chosen are not the guys that are going to do it for you, man. They're not going to do it. So I I just and they won't. They're not just going to magically start. Just keep doing it over and over and over again. You know what I mean? It's the same stuff over and over. That's the thing. He keeps playing the same guys. Stop playing Holgate. Stop playing Gilfie. He's not the solution to anything. Oh, well, no, he's creative. No, he's not. He's not. Please, I swear to God, if someone else says that one more time, I'm going to jump through the Ethernet of Twitter. I'm going to drop someone on their head. I just, but seriously, I mean, he has four goals this year, two of which came from penalties. He had one great finish. Don't get me wrong. His first of all, oh my God, if people say assist one more time too, I'm going to lose my mind. Like Raheem Sterling had one assist last year in the Premier League. You know what his expected assist was? It was like nine. Yeah, that's because he can't create. You know what I mean? I just... That's just so dumb. But anyway, Gilfie, I think, has four. Three of them basically came off set pieces. One was directly off set piece. The other one was short corner where it immediately got headed in. The other one was a bad corner that came back to him. That's what he's doing so far this year. Well, he's playing deeper. No, it, no, he's not. He's not. He played some deeper a couple times. He's still getting plenty of touches in the tacking zone. He's not creating. Carlo has to play and try different people. It's just, I don't know. Sorry, rant over. 
I like DL Barks's comment here because I think it's not just all the personnel, a little bit it's the setup too. Yeah, so DL Barks at Everton Barks said three at the back, especially with Holgate and Keane, is just a killer. Terrible with the ball, terrible positionally. They just sit on the ball and allow the defense to recover their shape. If Holgate isn't subbed at the half, then we're living in a six simulation. Fortunately, uh, well, we are still living in a six simulation, but Holgate was in fact subbed at half. So, and it did very little to actually fix any of the problems it's that really, we were suffering from. That's true. That's really true. I mean, you sub that guy off who's been a complete disaster for us for a long time. We really didn't. We didn't get better. We got worse. That's three games in a row after halftime. We technically got worse. Um, XG philosophy, I'd say they're pretty kind with us, but probably both those chances, the Richarlison or the Dom chance is probably yeah. far and away the most dominant one. I, they had us at 1.63 versus Sheffield's 1.18. I mean, Sheffield had a couple good chances in the second half late too. Um, but I mean, look at the numbers. I mean, we had 62.4% of the ball, 16 shots to their 10, 11 corners, their four, 86% passing did a lot with it. Apparently. We were only dispossessed eight times to their 12, 21 tackles to their 15, and we had the ball the whole time. 26 areas to their 12, but so what? The, the tackle stat is amazing to me. Think about that. We had 21 tackles to their 15, and we had the ball the whole time. You'd think they would have a ton of tackles, but why would they tackle us? We'll just play it why, out of bounds or shoot Why do they need to Rosette? pressure tackle Michael no. Keane? They don't need to pressure Ben Godfrey sitting at midfield, passing it back and forth nope. for two-thirds of the match, each getting like around 100 touches a, a piece. There, there was they no, had, did they have we didn't touches? make them have they, we didn't even make them have to defend. We made things so easy for them. Oh my god, you were right. Keen had 105 touches. Yeah. Dean had 94. He did have he did win seven aerials. Well, that's pretty impressive. Um, so look, I you know, we could beat this into the ground. Do we have any good performances? I don't think you could put anyone in a good performance no. in the good performance category. I, I will say uh Jordan Pickford just did okay in the very few times that he was called upon the last couple of games, but I mean, nothing you do about the goal, but nah. not really the focal point and not really something I'm super interested in diving into. In His distribution depth. was awful today though. I will say yeah. that. I mean, it just, it, it was off and maybe it was the, the conditions weren't great for a little bit too. Maybe yeah. that's part of it, but I mean, how many, I mean, he just, his decision-making was awful, just way too many hoofballs and that's a bad but, habit he's had in the past, but I thought Luca Dean was okay. One yeah. seven aerials, two key passes, three tackles, two interceptions. I was watching the match with my girlfriend. She's watched like three or four matches this season. Oh my god! And she, she kill uh, herself. I know she. Uh, I think she might dump me any day now. So I'm just waiting <laughs> for that uh, that text. But she did say that she's like, oh, he's like one of the only people I've seen that actually, you know, gives 100 percent the entire match, or at least appears Ooh. to. Um, but I thought Luca Dean was all right, and. Without him, you know, some of his crosses weren't great. Some of his set-piece delivery left a lot to be desired, but he did go uh, put himself on the line a few times. It's like he seems like he gets clobbered in a 50-50 challenge at least once a match. Um, other than that, I mean, it's slim pickings today, Ryan. No question about it. Yeah, I thought Alon was okay. I mean, he didn't yeah, win he all was... his tackles, but, I mean, he had five tackles, one interception, two for three in long balls. He had that great shot, took care of the ball, two key passes, I and mean, he was all over the place. I think if anyone he probably was the outstanding performer. I mean, Dean was good uh, to an extent, but, you know, I mean, his crosses, I think, left a little bit to be desired today. But again, he's got two guys to aim for, basically. There was no one else coming right. in behind him. 
You know what I mean? I think he had 13 crosses. I mean, that just goes to show you how limited we were in our ability to attack. I mean, three of 13. Some of the crossing numbers are horrendous, too. Hamas was one of six. I guess it was the one. Um, zero for one for Holgate. Zero for one for Sheamus. Uh, it's just, you know, just look at this. I mean, how are we even attacking? I, I just, yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Um, how would you say our defensive line played? Because I, I think... I think this is one of those classic games where you look at kind of the numbers and you kind of look at what Michael Keane did and you're like, well, you know, he made some tackles, a couple interceptions, blah, blah, blah. But you realize that fundamentally, fundamentally, you know, he is responsible and Holgate was a disaster. So, I mean, he's not in the running and Godfrey to a certain extent too. Those guys are a little bit responsible for our inability to attack with urgency and with precision from the back. I mean, Keane was three for 10 long passes. He was spraying it all over the darn place. He had two key passes that were important passes. But I mean, if we had center halves and I've seen Godfrey run with the ball for it a little bit. And so with Mike, same with Michael Keene, if we had guys that could be a little bit more aggressive and maybe have more danger against this type of team, maybe we could have broken them down more successfully, but they, they definitely weren't going to do it. Yeah. But I mean, I think the, we never too harsh. Is that too Sheffield harsh? never Sheffield United never had to, come out and pick anybody up because we yeah. were content to just let those guys sit on the ball and pass it back and forth. Yeah. You could have had Michael Keene driving forward a couple of times, but we did have, I think one instance of that where he basically got like immediately dispossessed yeah. and all of a sudden we're on the back foot running backwards. <clears throat> so I, I understand the hesitancy to really as a center back to, to drive the ball forward, but you're right. As long as you've got two of the three back, like you need to have someone with a little bit of bravery that's willing to, to drive the ball forward. I would have thought that'd be Ben Godfrey today but he, uh, he certainly struggled. Uh, but Michael Keane ended with two key passes, a couple of tackles, three tackles, excuse me, a couple of interceptions, three clearances. Decore, eh, kind of meh. Obviously got yanked, but 91% passing, three for three on long balls, three tackles, and an interception. Took care of the think, ball, took the yeah. ball away. I mean, but, you know, obviously he wasn't going to help us break down, but I just think him and Alon were playing so far back and felt like it was so important to come bail out the center halves in terms of yeah. distribution. They just got caught deeper, you know, and, and they were responsible. I mean, they've snuffed out most counters uh, when it happened down the middle. I mean, I, I can't say they were positionally poor. Um, no, there were a couple of times I noticed, especially in, I guess, the middle phases of the match where both the and, and Allen both drew, drew themselves extremely wide to receive the ball because yeah. they were Sheffield United were packing the middle. And so Alon would like drop to the left wing with Luca Dean in front of him to receive the ball. And then you've got nobody going there to centrally. Yeah. yeah. So you're playing yeah. exclusively down the yeah. wing, which is what they want. And you get, maybe get it down to, to Luca Dean, maybe get it up to Richarlison, but there's nothing to support that <laughs> forward movement. And so it just, it just, very quickly no and i saw that a few times where james would drift left and gilfie's now over there right in the second half and you got luca dean over there and godfrey to support him but i mean you know alan would come back and your james would be so darn deep and someone's got to be square to him too to keep those other guys honest there was just too many gaps there you really didn't have anyone that was a real threat and if gilfie's all the way the heck out there then it's basically richarlison and dominic calvert lewin in the middle and you know they're playing three center halves as well as well as two fullbacks that can drop deep. So it's just the time, the way to beat that team was to come out in the second half with some more athleticism, some guys that can press and uh, get on them and really be risky and push the line up. And we didn't do that at all. Uh, not at all. And um, 
paid the price for it. I mean, European dreams, the whole nine yards, pretty much over. Um, I, I mean, I wish I could point out and say that Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison were amazing. Uh, I thought positionally they were terrible, other than Richarlison being okay in about the first five minutes coming back to the ball. Uh, when they would come back to the ball, they'd lose it. Um, and, and, and they just didn't get that many touches. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had 33 touches, Richarlison 36 total. I mean, that's not a lot. I don't expect them to get a ton of touches, but I mean, half of Dom's touches were aerials. So I, that's just, and their, their spacing was bad. Uh, I, I've kind of grown to think that maybe we're almost better playing the Christmas tree rather than the one, two, you know what yeah. I mean? Have Dom be the focal point and have at least two guys sitting off him. But ultimately, at least then the you problem, have some support, right? Yeah. I think that's I think that's the problem, though. I mean, the problem today ultimately was that the gap in between the midfield and the center forwards is so great. Uh, it'd be nice to have someone like James in the middle there. But if they're putting pressure on Decore and Alon and making it tough to work that through, the center halves are not going to give it up to James, even though he's incredible at receiving a ball. So if that's the case, I mean, they don't really have to do anything. You know, defensively, they could stay compact. They could sit back. They scored in the sixth and the seventh. You know what I mean? So it was kind of over from there. And uh, that spacing was not solved by introducing Gilfie Sigurdsson. If anything, we were worse right after halftime. And it's just, yeah, Hamas, I feel the same way as you. I'm not so sure Carlo really understands what he's getting from this personnel. And I, I just, it's just amazing to me. Now, the good part is Carlo is going to be able to recruit better talent. I get it. But um, I, I just, I don't like this idea that he feels like these attacking players can kind of do whatever they want and generate chances. I think he had to be at one point more prescriptive for these guys. I agree. He had to design things. You know, he had to be more simplistic maybe or at least giving them some sequences allow them to play fast yeah i think that's a good way i think otherwise they're not going to be able to play fast enough and part of its chemistry is who they this team is not these guys have not played together that much um but to me i mean i think you have to design things for them to be that way to some extent i mean i you don't i mean it's like running a set in basketball you know what i mean yeah you're not forcing someone to make a decision and pass to a to b but, but at you least have you, options. You have A, B, C, D, and then based off D, you then have another set of options. And yeah, it just feels like it's very chickens running around with their heads cut off. Yeah. For Everton yeah. lately. And you see other teams play. You're like, wow, he made a no look pass. Well, that's because it's a design passing sequence. He knows someone's there. And yeah, like any set, you know, if you could run maybe the first two, three passes to trigger the set and give people time and space to move into. I mean, we had the ball. So, I mean, that's really the problem. I mean, we almost don't play better when we have possession. And Carlos said last week, we're not a possession-based team. Well, what happens when someone concedes possession? West Ham's not one either. You know what I mean? When yeah. we conceded possession to them, you saw how hapless they were attacking. Liverpool's not real great that way, too, when you pack it in. I mean, everyone has something that they're going to struggle with if someone takes you out of it. And when you give up a goal early, that's exactly what's going to happen. But even then, even all those things, I still question the personnel. I don't understand why you're playing Mason Holgate, and I don't understand why you had to play five defenders today. Bottom line. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, again, the, the less we belabor it, the better, but we do have some, some match reactions to kind of put the cherry on top, if probably not the best analogy, like the, the I won't even try to come up with one, but probably would involve poop the stake through the like heart that. of the vampire yes the beast or whatever i mean i feel like this was oh it's just terrible um, i mean we had this from uh andy watt at waddy watt dog this he changed his handle yeah he's waddy watt dog now it was what a wild world but i know, you know it's a lot of puns available anyway freaking cannot. so this was impressive uh <laughs> i guess he said uh boring predictable and completely no invention at all we deserved nothing from that game now here's the kicker 
sending my instant match reaction 25 minutes early because nothing will change. If that's not damning, then I don't know what is. I think that's, I mean, when you, and, and I felt the same way, like yep. at the 60th, 70th minute, it's like, we know how this one ends. We've seen this before. The only shocking thing is that Sheffield didn't uh, score a second goal. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had some, I think, I, I think this next one too, from Spee is a little bit over the top, but I mean, this, this is actually reasonable compared to some of the other lunacy yeah. kind of comments out there. So, I mean, it does, we do need a little bit of perspective here. Um, Spee at Spee for three. I hate Everton could have had champions league. No. Uh, again, you and I have talked about that. That's ludicrous. We were never in for the Champions League. I don't, and Carlo didn't think so either. Could have had Europa League. No. Could have finished above LFC. No. Always no. EFC looked down their noses at teams like Leicester City. Yet in the last five years, Leicester City has qualified for Europe three times and won two trophies. I hate Everton for making me hate the Premier League. I think it's a little, I, I agree. It's a little maybe over the top, but I also understand why people are so frustrated. Like started the season extremely well. Obviously, the luck has dwindled and now completely evaporated as of today. And it's frustrating, right? We had the opportunity that we talked a lot about how all these other teams are struggling this season. You had Arsenal, and we might finish now below Arsenal potentially after their horrific start to the season. So I get the feeling of, well, we finally had hope at the start of the season, and every new Everton season starts with the transfer window hope. Okay. These guys are going to come in. We're going to be a different team. We're going to be a lot better. And it seemed to be true for the first 10, 12, 15 games of the season. And then the wheels started to come off and the injuries struck and you know, you, you'll never know what would have been had we remained healthy all season, but all of the opportunity that seemed to have presented presented itself to us this year has slipped away. And we're looking at another mid table finish and another, transfer window that we hope will bring about some radical changes to the squad. Yeah. It just ticks me off a little bit. I mean, I, I, I think I just don't understand why he's gotten away from playing certain ways. And I think that's why I like some of these next comments, Stephen Brown at Brownie, 1878. I'm starting to look at Carlo in a very different way. Now, practically five at the back to start late subs, any other club he'd be toast. Well, Look, we had reasonable expectations going into this year. I thought we did. Um, and with the injuries, yeah, I mean, really, we're probably just seeing us finally getting less of the luck. I mean, someone could very easily look at this match and say, look, we probably didn't deserve to lose it. I mean, we deserve to lose it in the fact that we just went out and set up the way we did. It was very negative. But to be fair, it should have been a tie. You know, I get it. Um, but, you know, you go back to us scratching out wins and whatnot, and I just don't understand some of the personnel decisions, some of the changes that were made. I, I just don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I, I just, here's another one. John Diazio at John Diaz, the one Holgate sucks. Um, Starting to the point. Well, why is he playing James? Why is he playing? Why is Gilfie Sigurds in your solution in the 45th coming in the second half? We know he's not the case. So, you know, let, let me throw a couple numbers at you just because I feel like it today. Um, yeah. So in hockey, we have something called plus minus. Now, I don't think this is all that merit is the stat, but I just think it's interesting. So when I look at oh, we have plus minus per 90 minutes, net goals per 90 minutes by the team while the player was on the pitch versus off the pitch, right? Who is first on the team? Mina. Then you got Richarlison. Then you got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which is interesting. Normally, they're subbed off when we're winning, you know, whatnot. So, right. Um, and we didn't do well when those guys were out early in the season. Guess who's fourth? Alex Iwobi. Shocker. Seamus Coleman, too, which would indicate that Holgate should not be in the side as well. 
And then you have the guys at the bottom, which, you know, you've had a couple cameos of guys that haven't done very well. Josh King's numbers, obviously not very good because these are P90. Bernard's not great either, but Holgate who plays regularly is terrible. Ben Godfrey is also very bad. I might add. Um, Luca Dean is not real good either. So all I'm trying to say is that that's not a very meaningful stat, but I'm just wondering if he's just not looking at players in the right way. Uh, and, and I mean, even, even so far, he brings on Bernard who has shown to be somewhat creative. Bernard has always been a left half space player. Always his entire career. He's played the same way. People are like, oh, play him at the 10. He doesn't play the 10. He may sneak into the middle every now and then. But I mean, I remember when we got him, he had played the 10 like 22 minutes in his entire European career. He played some back in Brazil. He's not a 10, but fine. Play him on the left. He subbed him in and played him on the right. Why? Why? That's not the best use of him. If he's already a guy that you're, you got questions about anyway, which he clearly does. Why are you putting him in a role where it's not befitting of him? And guess what? Richarlison's not playing well. Maybe play him right. Silva played him right all the time. I mean, people forget, like when, like in, in the Silva's last year, well, his first complete year when we were okay, Richarlison played something like 750 minutes right, like a thousand minutes left and a thousand minutes in center forward. If you go by Y Scout, that's off the top of my head. I think that's actually right. So for Brazil, where does he play? He plays as like a center forward, yeah. but on the right side. So if our issue is that side, and I think it's very obvious it is. Play him over there. Sub Bernard in. And for heaven's sake, try Alex Awobi playing. Why on earth is he so reticent to play? The one guy could dribble and beat someone for heaven's sakes. We've seen him outright. You know, he's limited. I get it. But even when he's outright, we had more success as a team, by the way. So I just don't understand why he thinks his solutions are Mason Holgate, Gilfie Sigurdsson. And he said he was embarrassed. Then make a meaningful change. Play someone different. Um, you saw, I mean, even when Alex came on last match, you know, him and Andre, he at least put Andre last match in an appropriate role where he pushed him up high when he brought Andre on today. Guess where he played deep sat back, which how is that helpful? We're down. We need to score like two goals, not one. I don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, fr- I'll tell you what, I would be it's way more frustrated, way more frustrated. If, as I told you off the air before, if my kid didn't hit a sick free kick to tie the game in the very last minute of his travel match. That was awesome. I mean, that's dude, the only thing standing between Ryan and like pure ballistic insanity. Dude, are you kidding me? The Penguins lost in the playoffs tonight in OT in a game that it sounds like they should have won. Yeah. Oh, it was a sweet free kick though. Dude, Bennett, like right at the last <laughs> minute, he was right outside the 18. He got taken down and he bent it right over the wall and dipped it right down in the corner. I mean, he's not old. So for him to do that, it was, this other kid who's a good free kick tier two is like fighting him for it. My, my, my little Max is like, nope, I'm taking it. <laughs> I told it right Ryan in. before we got on air that I would much rather do a post-match review of his son's travel game than this Everton match. But he here we are. And then when I told him that Everton lost, he j- I mean, he just erupted. <laughs> he went from like pure elation, like get in, you know, he's so pumped afterwards, celebrating, whooping it all up. And then right when I told him that, like the face just changes and he's like, what? He was so mad, you know. Yeah. We are all max today. We are what? We really are all max today. Uh, Alan Brody, uh, do you agree with Brody's take at Brody in Maryland? He said the next best thing I can, the, excuse me, the best thing I can say about today is we're not ready for Europe and having to play next year would only set us back. Um, 
Well, there's no correlation. I mean, if you look back in the past, I remember one time I did a whole analysis of, of the teams that had had to go through Europa League qualifiers, which is the most difficult, route. right? And uh, actually, and so you got to figure all those teams finished, except for the ones that they gave. Uh, we used to do this like um, fair play award thing, and they would sneak in based on that. Um, or they'd went, you know, won a cup or whatever. So um, the only, t- the teams on average actually did a little bit better the next year. Uh, the teams that didn't do well, like your Burnleys and your Everton's when we had that terrible side were the teams that didn't invest well. And and that's really all it was. So, I mean, to us, the way Europa looks and a lot of people are like, well, the prize money is only like, no, you get to pull the TV money. I mean, I mean, it's not nothing. It's it's not nothing. I feel like it seems inconsequential when you compare it to champions league, maybe, but even then it's still, I feel like the group stage, I feel like the group stage can be like 15, 20 mil. They have the actual payouts last year. I just don't have them in front of me. That's a player too. You know what I mean? I mean, that's I, I would I would love to have the opportunity to play some of our young players, even in the Europa Conference League thing. You're playing some bad teams, but fine. I mean, those are games that you can play full bore and bring some of these guys in. Um, and hopefully we'll have a little different roster this summer where we can do that. But I just um, I don't necessarily know. I agree with that, but I totally agree on the sentiment. I mean, it's frustrating. Yeah. You know, it's just like you just I, threw it all down. And I just felt like we didn't even get a, give it a go. You know? Yeah, that that's what's most frustrating to me is. It didn't even feel like we gave it a go. We had so many chances, not just today, but in the prior couple of weeks, it seemed like every game was a must win. And every time we didn't win, the window would shut. And it's like, okay, well, we could still get there. All we yep. have to do is win out or do yep. this. And finally, the just we ran out of runway, right? We just, mm-hmm. well, we botched it too, one too many times and it all comes crumbling down. And the thing is, for a while, I just kind of dismissed our home record and our ability, inability to break down, you know, the bad teams. Um, but really, you know, we noted when the setups were wrong first match against Southampton, remember how irritated we were. Cause I thought we got the preview nailed and we should yeah. probably do more previews. Cause I think that's kind of interesting and fun, but it's only so many hours in the day. We'd rather apparently come afterwards a loss like this and just want to kill ourselves. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not trying to be trivial about mental health or anything there, but anyway, um, it's depressing though. No, it is. And then the Newcastle setup where we played Andre and Gilfie as twin tens, basically. Oh God. The Christmas tree. Like, you know what I mean? Like Carlo, yeah. how on earth do you not understand the personnel you inherited? Like do your research, really look into these guys. I mean, they're not creative players. There's no way you were going to create anything through those guys. And right now, like, how can you not sit out there? I mean, I, I know I, like i don't know if i like the numbers but i use the numbers but i know what i'm watching out there and i'm seeing the numbers reflect exactly what i'm watching he's like the 10th most like if you just sca for example shot created action he's like 10th on the team from open play and i'm sorry he's not that good from set pieces beyond dean would be right I, it, the, you know the difference is not that big and look he doesn't help us defensively that's actually why i get a little charged up about a wobi because for me I know Alex Awobi's created from open play. He did it in this league for a better. T- and people are like, well, Awobi's not good enough for top 16. He played in one already, folks. The Arsenal team was better than this team. And he played every match. Started more than half, you know? And, and so that's all I'm thinking. I'm like, be objective. Think about this. Those numbers don't lie, dude. You're creating shots for someone else and you're doing it consistently. Awobi's not even getting three touches in the box. And then I got him. I got some genius out on Twitter comparing him to Pepe who gets six touches in the box and has like an ex assist of under one this year. Horrible. I mean, he's probably the biggest bust in the history of the premier league, not named Keppa. He's 72 million pounds and he's, and he's not playing out of position. 
And people like I get mad about that because I'm like, oh, playing out of position, putting in a shift. He has the highest pressing percentage on the whole team. People, oh, he doesn't hustle. He doesn't play defense. The heck he doesn't. He's averaging more tackles than Ben Godfrey. And other guys, other like defensive mids too in there. So all I'm simply saying is that if you're going to make a change, I, I think you want to play defensively sound. You're not even playing the right guys to do that. So I would have really liked to see you come out in this half and really attack them defensively and try and hit them, counter press, and really try and make things happen in that way. And we didn't do it. Sorry, rant over. Let's go to Evertonian Jamie or Jaime, whoever he feels like, at JDGEFC. Yeah, so he uh, was responding to you and regarding Carlos changes at halftime said, to be fair, mate, he clearly changed it at halftime because he knew he had effed up doing it in the first place. Putting Coleman at right wing back is just absolutely pointless. Yeah, so can we stop complaining about a Wobie's crossing now? I mean, it's hard. It's not Seamus's fault either. Seamus can play in the half space and can get around things. But, but ultimately, you know, when you attack from that side and you have no support, it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Ben brings up uh, at BT underscore 1878 responding to you basically says that team should have been enough to win that game. And that's absolutely true on paper. Yeah. But we know like the way it was constructed and the tactics that we utilized were not a winning formula from the first minute really onward. Yeah. And, and Richard Lloyd, I think, hits it at Rich Lloyd, uh, 1984. Well, that's creepy. Um, we can't play any other way other than playing deep. The state of the passing tonight, players incapable of doing the basics. You can't blame the manager for that. Well, I think you can do things to make it a little bit easier on him. And you can blame the managers for the setup and the personnel choice. But but his point is fair. I mean, I'm sure he feels pressured for us not to just leave gaping holes in and conceding goals. And yeah. by the way, number one plus minus guys, Yerry Mina. You know, we miss Yerry Mina. Remember people last year telling us how much better Mason Holgate was than Yerry Mina and what, what an idiot we were for suggesting Yerry Mina was a good defensive oh, player? Oh, how the turntables have turned. That just ticks me off, man. I mean, come on, watch the game. That's I get that all. Ryan, watch the game. Get out of your spreadsheets. I'm watching the game, man, and it's obvious. Anyway, um, yeah, and then kind of Ben Ben kind of comes back here again uh, at again at BT underscore eighteen seventy eight. Uh, he had definitely some good commentary after the match. But the thing is, though, if he scores, it changes the game for me, and we might actually realize we can win the game. Or Charleston missing the header as well. So his point is that look, if we score that thing, we win. And look, I I just disagree. I think if we score that, we tie because there was no other way. That was a moment of magic. There was nothing tactical. There was nothing structural that I felt like we did to deserve that, you know? And look, we probably deserve to score that. We, we did, you know, deserves a strong word, right? You know, deserves yeah. got nothing to do with it. Um, but, but, but we didn't. And so what adjustments did we make? And we had a whole time after that at halftime. And that was what, seven minutes before halftime. We could have come out in halftime differently. Could have came out tack differently. Could have set up differently. Carlo did make changes to Evertonian Jamie's point. And how do we look? We had one shot from the 45th to the 70th. Yeah, I wish I had. I can't remember exactly who said it last match, but the uh, the, the adjective ponderous, I think, describes ponderous, yes. our attacking play, not just today, but for so much of this season. It just looks like the players are not really convinced that what the manager has them doing is is going to work, and it mm. certainly hasn't worked. So I think they're right to question it. And so it goes back. I, I, I don't think that there's any sort of, there are certain factions of the Everton fan base that may lose faith in Carlo. I still think that 
you know, you have to have the long, t- long-term view of this whole project and you don't, uh, Carlo Ancelotti's don't grow on trees. And so he may not have got everything right this season. I think between he and brands, they have a good framework and we did get some fantastic performances and victories this season. Like, let's not forget. It's been pretty bleak lately, <clears throat> but we wanted Spurs. We wanted Arsenal. We beat Liverpool. We got some really good results. And so I don't think it's just, there's the recency bias, I think, playing in. We've been so pitiful with so much opportunity in front of us for the remainder of <clears throat> the season. I just think I'm, ha- I'm looking forward for these last couple of matches. We've got Wolves on Wednesday. And then, of course, Manchester City. And this will be all over Ryan and we'll be talking about who we're going to bring in and how they're going to change us and what we really need to address in the summer. I think the right side is obviously the most obvious, but we'll be getting into that in a lot more detail over the next coming weeks. But before we wrap up here, any final thoughts or uh, opinions? My kid hit a great sweet free kick. I don't even, it's I've, the little I've, things, I've, folks. I've said my piece, my friend, um, the recruitment's important, but I, I just think that my my concern is this. Carlo can attract talent, um, but but I'm ass- I made the assumption a long time ago that, you know, this team wasn't that talented, had a lot of gaps in it. But that Carlo was a better judge of talent than someone like Marco Silva. I'm not saying he's not, but uh, I'll tell you right now, if I see an extension to Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, if I see us going after aging players, um, you know, you can get an aging player as long as you don't spend any big money on it. Um, the only thing that I know for sure is that Everton has not approached anyone with any sum of money whatsoever. I'm sure we've pinged agents and checked on availability, but the club doesn't leak information either. So you can dismiss most of the rumors out there. It's just agent talk, but, um, it is hard to watch these last couple games and some of the setups we had this year and the way he's tried to utilize players and think to yourself, this guy really knows what we've got here. Um, yeah. I'm concerned about him playing Andre Gomes. I'm concerned about him not playing some guys that I think could have, could have at least helped a bit tonight. Uh, yeah. it looks bleak. I hope I'm wrong. Me too. And uh, ever the optimist, I do believe that there is a brighter future ahead for Everton football club. It feels I do too dark right now but we shall persevere we shall overcome and uh there's always next year as they say but we'll be uh of course with you guys for the remainder remaining two matches of the season hopefully now the pressure's off there's no europe to play for the the squad can maybe be liberated a little bit it'll all feel a bit hollow of course if we are to get somehow six points from these last couple but we'll be with you through it all the ups and downs the highs and lows the American Toffee Podcast perseveres through it all. <laughs> hey, Somehow, we did it today. I mean, we did it. We did it. I and if you're still for whatever reason that you could possibly have still listening to this, we do hugely appreciate everyone listening. It's why we do it. We love getting the feedback and engaging with our listeners. And so, if you enjoyed the show, or maybe not this particular show, but any previous show, do us a huge favor and leave us a rating review. Uh, and subscription on your podcast platform of choice. As always, our links to socials, etc., are linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's L-I-N-K-T-R.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. Join our Discord server where you can find many good conversations in depth about what's going wrong at Everton. 
and much, much more, including our most recent, we've got a beer channel, we've got a music channel, we've got a lot of other topics that aren't Everton related. So when games go like they have today, there's a nice distraction. Please join that. That's invite.gg slash ATP. Otherwise, we'll be with you next time. And until then, up the toffees. <laughs>